We live in a fantasy world now. Reality has been destroyed. This is the time that we really need to pay attention. The probabilities are overwhelmingly on gold's side. That is the best environment to see gold increase its value. Welcome to Palisades Gold Radio. I'm your host, Tom Bodrovics. Joining me today is Craig Hemke from the TF Metals Report. Thanks for joining me today, Craig. Tom, good to see you. Happy New Year. We are, we're off to an interesting start of the year. It's going to be fun to talk about. Absolutely. And of course, you you recently released your 2023 macrocast, and it provides your really your roadmap for the year ahead as you see it. So, you know, last year, of course, we reviewed your 2022 look ahead. So maybe let's start with with talking about maybe what you got right and what you got wrong as you saw last year shape up. And and 23 follows on last year, really. It's kind of an extension. And it's like there's a timeout or there was a delay. Um, But we're still heading down that same path. And so where I thought we'd be rallying in the metals, you know, I thought we'd dip. I thought prices would dip. I wrote that in maybe below 20 briefly in silver, you know, and down towards 1,700 in gold. I thought they'd recover and rally into year end. Uh, but from a higher level. I mean, they did recover in rally the year end, but I didn't think we'd go down as far as we did mm-hmm. because I, you know, I didn't expect the Fed to continue to hike as aggressively as they have. You know, you could look ahead last year at this time and think, well, you know, last time in you know, 10-year note got over 3% and the stock market fell 20%. The Fed was quick to to shift policy while the 10-year note got to almost four and a half percent. And at one point, the S&P was down 25%, but yet the Fed was still pedal to the metal. And I think that's probably largely due. Well, one, it's largely due because they're reactive. I mean, they always, they're never proactive, right? They're mm-hmm. always rearview mirror people. Um, and so they waited, you know, it was all that transitory stuff, you know, and coming out of 21, you know, half of the goons were still talking about no rate hikes until 2023. And so they waited and waited, then the war started, and then they waited some more, and inflation got away from them. And so then they try to play catch up with all these 75 basis point hikes, and they have no idea. They quantitatively don't know the damage that they've been that they've done now to the US economy. And so everything was just kind of put off last year. And now this year's forecast is kind of an extension of what I expected late last year, and then to carry over into this year. And so We'll see. I, I I think the historical precedents are there, pretty clear for how this will all unfold. And as we you know, as we discuss this, Tom, I I'd encourage everybody to. I mean, I'll send you the link. Maybe you can put the link with yep, the text of this. Put it in so the show notes. They can go and read it. And I just look. I think my site's kind of a, a shelter and a storm for a lot of folks. I mean, after twelve years, we got a pretty good community of people that we're all kind of rowing together. And I think the analysis that I can provide is, is important too, but it's not just my side. I think it's very, very important in this year where the lies and the propaganda now is so thick that you really got to think for yourself. People need to go to Palisades gold radio, you know, and need to follow your site for all these independent voices that you bring on. Nothing could be more important than thinking for yourself uh, and analyzing this for yourself and not just being a sheep, you know, swallowing whole whatever CNBC tells you or your stockbroker tells you. You've got to think for yourself. I think my site can help you do that. I'm I I'll just tell you now, I I I can I made a coupon code of my site. If anybody wants to join us and kick the tires for a month, 
Mm-hmm. A, a monthly subscription is 15 bucks. If you check out with a coupon code of 2023, just 2023, you get half off your first month. It'll save you $750. You can check out the whole thing for $750 for a month. Stick around if you like, but if you don't like it, you can punt. But it'll give you a, a good measure to see if what I do and what my site does is valuable. But I ever you gotta you gotta this is really important that you're thinking for yourself this year because again, the lies are and we saw it again last week with the jobs report. The lies are really, really thick and you gotta be able to see through it. Well, yeah, it's not only thinking for yourself, but at least trying to expose yourself to the other side, maybe, maybe conflicting ideas and seeing if you think any of it holds water, right? There seems to be a a very consistent narrative from one side. And you know that's why I try to have so many different voices on on my mm-hmm. show is to to try and understand where any of our blind spots might be as well. You know, as 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 gold bugs, let's say we believe that gold and silver should always be higher. You know, there's there's plenty of people that that think that manipulation is the only reason that we're in the situation we're in, and I like hearing both sides of that argument. Sure. Um, and not necessarily, let's say, in in gold and silver. Sure, and and in the bigger picture, again, it's it's there's what I call a financial political media complex that kind of circles the wagons and reinforces itself against any threat. You know, they've all got their their beaks in the trough. They all profit from a continuation of the system, and so they all prop it up by either outright lying or just having no journalistic interest in investigating. And, you know, it makes me think, I, I know you're a competitive uh, race rider, bike rider. So, you know, you remember Lance Armstrong, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you think Lance Armstrong survived. I mean, it was his great story, right? He survived cancer. He should have been dead and all this stuff. He comes back. We already know guys like, uh, who's the dude that now lives in Leadville, Colorado? Frank Frank Landis? What was his name? Frank. Um, anyway, we know all these guys were doping and, and gaming the system to win the Tour de France. Mm-hmm. Lance Armstrong starts down this path of lying about how he's doing it and wins seven times in a row. And nobody, everybody just swallows it. And again, once you start down a path of lies, you have to keep going. You can't double back. And that's what Lance Armstrong now admits. But everybody wanted the story to be true. I love this story. Oh, Lance freaking Armstrong. Look at him. He's back from the dead. He's banging Cheryl Crow, man. He's got a, <laughs> he's living the life, right? It's great. And it was all lie. It was all fake, right? But the media had no interest in digging any deeper, even though Floyd Landis is out there and all these other guys are getting, you know, busted for doping. Oh, no, he's good. He's got his foundation. We got to, they keep propping it up. And that's kind of where we are. I mean, the the economic system in the U.S. has been propped up, continually propped up with lies now for decades, and they can't go back like Lance Armstrong couldn't go back. You know, whether it's gr- dramatically understating inflation so that buyers of U.S. debt will keep showing up and buying it at 2 and 3 and 4% when they should be demanding 10, but they, we can't give them 10 because otherwise the whole thing, the Ponzi just spins out of control in interest payments. So they got to keep these lies going. Look at just last week, Tom. They roll out this latest jobs report in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And all you, how, if you could Google the term Goldilocks job report 
and see how many times that was the line. Oh, it's Goldilocks. Oh, not too hot, not too cold. It's perfect. Goldilocks. Over and over and over, you go to sites and they say, oh, surprisingly strong and robust U.S. jobs number. More Americans with a job than ever before. Anyone, not just some dope out here in the middle of nowhere like me, anyone can go to the, the, the BLS website, dig into the report, and find out that the only jobs being added are part-time And the only reason more people are working than ever is because they're having to work multiple jobs. This is all right there for anybody to look at. Mm -hmm. But yet that's not how it's reported. Oh, it's 225,000 new jobs. And it's great. The the way the Bureau of Labor Statistics looks at it, they think if, if you lose a good paying salaried job with benefits, if you get laid off or fired, and out of desperation, you take three part time jobs. Because you're trying to feed your family. The Bureau of Labor Statistics in the U.S. considers that a net gain of two jobs. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's not good. That's not positive. But again, the, the financial political media complex circles the wagons and they all reinforce this narrative. And it, that's again, that's why it is so important. Because as this year comes at you now, right, you're being told, oh, yes, the Fed they are stalwart in defeating inflation and they're going to do what it takes and they're going to keep hiking rates. And the same bank analysts at Goldman Sachs and the rest that four years ago were telling you that the 10-year note's going to 5% and the Fed's going to keep hiking all through 2019. They're saying the same thing now. And back in 2019, the U.S. economy began to fall in the first half of the year. And by June, the Fed was cutting rates. And the 10-year note, instead of going from two and a half to four and a half, like Jan Hotzius of Goldman Sachs said it was going to do, it went from two and a half to one and a half by the end of 19. And this year, instead of going from three and a half to five, it's going from three and a half to two and a half. And the Fed's going to be cutting and doing QE by the second half of the year. You can bank on it because the economy's in the toilet. I'm sorry, Tom, I'm going on forever like it's a podcast. But <laughs> again, I'm getting back to the critical nature of thinking for yourself and not just swallowing, you know, the, the propaganda mm-hmm. that's put forth by the, you know, the media and the banks and the fed, because all they're trying to do is keep the plate spinning in their system as long as possible. Well, you know, Craig, it's an important point. Like, you know, the, the last time I had Danielle DiMartino Booth on, for example, yeah, she was saying that a big part of that number as well is, you know, we, we see all these Silicon Valley jobs being cut, mm-hmm. Amazon, Meta, all of these different jobs, a big part of that, let's say those people not being counted as losing a job are people that are still on severance pay, right? Getting severance packages. That's that's still counted as receiving some type of benefit. Um, So as you say, that's a really important way to think about the way that these things are being interpreted. And you know, Powell is so fond of saying they're, they're going to be data dependent. Well, Garbage in, garbage out. If you're taking right. garbage in, right? You know these metrics that they use. If they're flawed to begin with, how can we expect them to be reacting properly to the correct information? Yeah. Well, there's a narrative to be promoted, right? But at the same time, I mean, Powell is the chief goon of all the goons on the FOMC, and he was one of the guys 15, 16 months ago saying they were they were going to keep rates at zero until 2023. Mm-hmm. 
And now here we are. He's one of the guys saying, oh, we're not going to be cutting rates this year. Cash Gary is another one. Goon Bostick's another one. You go down the list. All of, They were all, oh, it's transitory. Don't worry about it. Then they get behind the eight ball and they start ramping it into this great unknown faster than they've ever ramped rates before As and, and assume there's not going to be any impact. The latest, every quarter, every quarterly meeting, you know, the Fed meets whatever, 10 times a year or whatever it turns out to be. But the ones in March, September, June and December, they put out what they call the summary of economic projections. Mm-hmm. You know, where here's what inflation is going to be and here's what GDP is going to be and the employment rate. And they're always wrong. You know how many of the last eight recessions the Fed has predicted? Zero. <laughs> they're always they're always optimistic bostic this week said the base case for this year is one percent gdp and no rate cuts and this is the same idiot that a year ago said the base case was no rate hikes you know and five percent gdp they're always wrong right you know what is correct macro data that again any anybody can follow this stuff whether it is the the private sector purchasing manager indices, which is like ISM puts out what's called a PMI. Uh, S&P Global used to be called market. They put out these PMIs. When they fall below 50, it's considered contraction and recession territory. Both They both put out two separate PMIs, a service sector and a manufacturing. So there's ISM, S&P, service sector, manufacturing, all four of them now below 50. Mm-hmm. The Fed regional banks all put out manufacturing purchasing manager indices, PMIs, Chicago Fed, Philly Fed, Empire State Fed, all of them are below 40. Those PMIs, as opposed to the Fed being over eight, you know what the PMIs are for the last eight when they get negative? Eight for eight. Tom, they're betting a thousand, brother. Then you think about the yield curve, right? Three-month treasury bills exceeding everything, all the way out to 30-year long bond, mm-hmm. inverted yield curve. That's about eight for eight as well. So certainly at least the last four for four. All right. So to, you can either to, believe. To be predict, predicting a recessions. recession. Yeah. So you can believe the spin. You can just go from headline to headline, you know, reading Twitter or following, you know, what BNN or whatever it's called up in Canada, CNBC here. Or again, you can think for yourself. And so let's, let's apply this to the economy and Fed policy and the metals. Again, coming the, where there's two most recent years. That are, in, that are analogous to this year. One, you got to accept the fact that the whole financial paradigm changed after the great financial crisis. When in March 2009, the Fed began QE mm-hmm. and said, oh, no, we're, you know, they rolled the Bernanke out there and he says, we're not monetizing debt. Wait a second, you're buying treasuries, uh, but we're not monetizing. Okay, fine. All right. So coming out of 2009, QE was a one off, it was never going to be done again. The little expansion of the Fed balance sheet was going to go back to normal, whatever it was. And everybody bought that hook, line, and sinker heading into 2010. Well, Craig, let me let me interrupt you for just oh, one sure, second go ahead. here. Um, no? This is this is exactly one of the points that I wanted to touch on with you is the the yeah. the Fed's pendulum, their swings come becoming wider and wider instead of narrowing right. narrower as as a pendulum normally ends up. Yes. As a as a pendulum would naturally function, right? So this you is like that was a metaphor I put in that macro cache, and, and I and I try not to I try not to interrupt my guests, but this is no 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 exactly but that, but it it explains it perfectly. Very important to understand. I even saw on Twitter this week something from Jeff Gunlack saying basically the same thing. A little bar chart, you know, of each QE program gets bigger and bigger. Why is that? 
the continued expansion of the debt and the exponential growth of the existing debt. So it just follows that every QE program's got to get larger. Mm-hmm. And and, th- and this is one of the keys for later this year and next. As we've had these QE programs and these shift, you know, they, when the Fed is revealed to be full of garbage and the curtain gets pulled back, you know, we've had gold run up and come back down. Had the shares run up and come back down. Mm-hmm. Because, oh, yeah, the Fed, they're being responsible. It's going back to normal, you know, and all this stuff. One of these times, people aren't going to believe them anymore. And they're going to go, it, and it's going to be like, uh, I, I, before I get back to what's analogous, we could also go back to the late 70s. Mm-hmm. You know, you come off the gold standard, uh, demand for gold soars, you know, and it's been underpriced for all these years. And it goes from 35 to 200 by 1975. Then it goes to 100. And everybody's like, well, that's over with. And then what happened? It goes to 900. <laughs> okay. Um that's an analogous period here too, you know, and for people in the mining shares, I've got charts uh, and tables. People have sent me of shares that went from 40 cents to $40 mm-hmm. in 79 and 80, you know, because, well, hell, the gold price went up eight, nine times. Anyway, I digress. That's, but that was a period when it got away from them. Right. And nobody, and I don't believe the Fed is. And so one of these times that's going to happen again in the current day, but back to the analogous periods. We exit 2009. I started TF Metals Report in 2010, so I was paying pretty close attention back then. And everybody thought, oh, "Remember? Do you remember Tom? How often the term green shoots was used? Do you remember that one? I don't that, know. That may be back before your time. Older, old farts like me will remember in two th- coming out of the financial crisis mm-hmm. in nine and a ten. The term that the drinking term was green shoots." That out of the rubble and the disaster, you know, and the conflagration of the financial <laughs> crisis, these green shoots were emerging, right? The new economy grew. It was all green shoots. So in 2010, everybody thought it was a one-off, blah, 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 blah. Well, guess what? The economy initially jumps, and then it starts doing one of these deals. And what happened? November of 2010, after it had been hinted at for a couple of Fed meetings, here comes QE2. How did the metals trade? Okay, everybody's dead wrong. Fed's still in the game. It's getting bigger. QE2 bigger than QE1. Metals kind of go sideways the first half of the year. And then, boom, silver goes from like 18 to 30 in the back half of the year. Gold takes off as well. Okay. And then, most important to remember, everybody knows what happened in 2011. Okay. When they when they are a pedal of the metal again. Okay. Fast forward. They play all these rhetorical games from 13 to 18, quantitative tightening, operation twist, all this crap again about normalizing the balance sheet and rates. It's all lies. Mm-hmm. By that group, that financial polit- political media complex to try to keep the plate spinning. We get to 2018, stock market's crashing, 10-year notes up over 3%. And in late 2018, the Fed begins to pivot. Though as we enter 19, all these bankers, all the investment banks, investment houses, you know, Goldman Sachs and the like are talking about, oh yeah, the Fed's going to keep on hiking, 10-year notes going to 4%. What happens? First quarter, a couple quarters of 19, economy tanks. Fed begins to hint that they're not hiking anymore by March. And by June, they start cutting. What do the metals do? They go sideways for the first half of the year. And then, boom. And then in 2020, yeah, you couldn't see COVID coming and all that stuff. But, you know, new QE and boom, they really take off, right? Mm -hmm. 14, what silver was 14 in uh, 2018 goes to 30, right? Gold was 1180. 
goes to 2100. Okay. And again, what happened? The curtain gets pulled back. Everybody figured out, oh, wait, the, the economy is in the toilet. The Fed has to make a choice between these rhetorical games and the peekaboo of, you know, eh, normalization, all this stuff, and saving the economy. And that's now what they're going to have to do this time. Okay. And that's why I started with all the stuff about the job report and the PMIs. The evidence of this faltering economy is there. It's going to become more clear as the first quarter and the second quarter unfold. By the time we get to summer, they're going to be talking about not just a pause, but beginning of rate cuts. And by the end of the year, rates are going to be dramatically lower than they are now, not dramatically higher as you know the head in the sand, agenda pumping investment houses would have you believe. So anyway, this is all, again, this is all what's in that forecast. It's the basis of my annual forecast. I want, please read it. And, and uh, again, use this information to think for yourself and plan ahead so that you're not caught flat-footed chasing and all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I think an important point that really matters to a lot of people here this year, obviously, is inflation, Craig. And, you yeah. know, I want to get your thoughts on maybe we'll start with how the base effects right now are painting a, a rosier picture that that year or month over month comparison to a year ago how mm-hmm. that is starting to help you know quote unquote ease this illusion yep. of inflation coming down well it's it's going to i mean i think you see the numbers of the money supply contracting and again, the Fed it has this natural effect. You raise rates, you know, it soaks things up, soaks dollars up. You know, the, any bonds they do sell, right? They're bringing dollars back in to the Fed. They're they're reducing the money supply, and so there's going to and an economy is slowing, and that you know that impact on the demand side of supply demand that helps lower price too. And so, as we record this, the next CPI in the U.S. Uh, consumer inflation report is due on the twelfth. Mm-hmm. It's probably going to come in less than expected. And if it does, probably pretty good for the metals when it does. Inflation, look, there are a couple of things people need to know. And again, this is all part of the spin. What if inflation comes down to annualized 3% or something? It's going to take a while for that to happen because, as you mentioned, you've still got, you know, your month over month is, or year over year is still going to include all these really high numbers from last summer. So it's going to take a while. But even when those start coming off the board, you know, by June or July, that annualized rate is going to fall really fast. Mm-hmm. Important to remember that this doesn't mean we're resetting prices back down to where they were two years ago. Mm-hmm. It just means that the further increase from here is going to be a little slower. And the Fed, recognizing the slower economy, all of a sudden, what you're going to start hearing is, hey, look, Fed funds rate is 100 basis points, 200 basis points above the CPI. Hey, we won. We can declare victory. Mm-hmm. And that'll be another part of their rationale for then reversing course, trying to save face, trying to keep their credibility and saying, well, look at that. Inflation came down so fast. We well, we did such a great job of hiking rates. We killed inflation. Now we got to deal with the economy. Anyway, that's when, again, why by summer, the discussion is going to be cutting rates if not if they're not already cutting rates and that inflation part of the picture as you mentioned uh the month over month's going to come down and then you start you know you take think of it like a moving average you start taking replace this april with last april this coming may with last may june out new june in and that year over year is going to come down and suddenly it's be way below the fed funds rate 
And that's going to give them the cover to start cutting. Well, so let's maybe stack another idea about inflation on top of that. Obviously, China is starting to reopen here. And yeah. how do you see that starting to weigh into, let's say, demand for oil, demand for commodities, and the the effect of that inflationary pressure on prices and demand on commodities throughout the world? You, you mentioned my forecast for last year. There's a whole section in there about uh, what's called the Chinese credit impulse because it was expected. Why would you expect China to keep going down this moronic zero COVID path, right? It didn't make any sense. So everybody thought, well, that's going to come off in 2022 and the Chinese are going to be back and they're going to be selling dollars and buying commodities and trying to put their people back to work and all that. It didn't happen. It didn't happen until December. So that's just been put off. And you look, Tom, now, I don't know if, if you've seen or anybody listening to us has seen, have you seen copper just since the first of the year? Copper's up over 8% mm -hmm. in the first seven trading days of the year and north of $4. And holy cow, uh, looking pretty salty. Factor then, take that just copper alone picture, not all the other base metal, you throw them in there too. Global copper stockpiles over the last 10 years have fallen by 80%. That Shanghai, London, New York, Dubai, wherever that's stockpiled, mm -hmm. down 80%. All right. Hmm. Now all of a sudden you got all this demand coming back. What, what's going to happen with copper? You mentioned crude oil. That's another one. What's going to happen the next time crude oil goes up? Is the U.S. going to drain the rest of its strategic petroleum reserve? Mm -hmm. Just dump the rest of it? I mean, we are, and then you throw on the fact that the Fed pivots and the dollar comes down and that gets the machines buying all the future contracts and everything else. And we're probably on the verge of, even within the confines of the current system, very powerful commodity bull market this year. Mm -hmm. But then you throw on, again, not just copper, zinc, lead, aluminum, nickel. Those global stockpiles are all falling. They're the lowest they've ever been on the LME. Um, what if some of these uh, rehypothecation and, and leverage schemes of physical commodities, you know, where in copper in China, copper is used as collateral in loans. So it's been levered up multiple times, tens of times. What if, you know, all of that starts to uh, be on a rather shaky ground? So, yes, that's that China coming back online and and their demand and third world demand, if you want to call it that. Um, that's a big part of the picture this year. And then, hey, one more piece of that puzzle. How about all the stuff Zoltan Posar has been writing about? About the remonetization of commodities, whether it's gold or tying oil to gold and, you know, offering some other platform where where that then is convertible to gold in Shanghai, you know, and what are the Russians going to do? And did you see the story back on New Year's Eve about uh, the Russian sovereign wealth fund has doubled their allowed holdings for yuan and gold, where it used to be uh, 30%, they could hold up to 30% yuan and 20% in gold. Now it's 60% yuan and 40% in gold, which basically means that, you know, there's an example of a adversarial central bank that wants to move all their assets conceivably totally to yuan and gold. Well, where's mm -hmm. that? What does that tell you they're headed? So I'm sorry if I keep itching my nose, that little coughing spat made my nose run a little bit. But 
all these pieces, again, I keep coming back to this. And I'm not, I don't mean this as a form of pimping my site. I'm pimping your site. I'm pimping Zero Hedge. I'm pimping all my friends that do great podcasts and put out great newsletters. This is the time that you have to educate yourself about what's going on because this is the story you're being fed as 2023 begins is not is 180% out of phase with how 2023 is going to play out. Yeah, that's a that's a great point, Craig. And you know, that's that's why I try to have these discussions because there are so many pieces to this puzzle that we're trying to layer mm-hmm. on top of each other. You know, the a good example of that is let's say the IMF recently projected that a third of the world will see a recession this year. So yep. does that can that outweigh China China's demand coming into the market by the the drop in demand of all these other countries going into recession? Yeah, and, I yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Go, yes. Go ahead. No, and 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 that is the I guess the more fundamental case as to why crude oils come down to $75 a barrel or whatever, right? And there's no doubt that's happening. Yeah, I saw that IMF and the World Bank cutting all of their growth projections earlier this week for the world. But again, put that in contrast to what these central bankers are trying to to spin to you, right? Oh, yes, the base case is 1% GDP growth in the US and higher interest rates. (laughs) Right, right? Those are two... Completely different points of view that they're trying to tie together into make it somehow some coherent uh, strategy. So, um, yes, slowing economy that does impact uh, demand, right? Can it overcome China coming back online demand, that kind of stuff? Can it overcome the what do they call it? Photovoltaic demand, you know, for silver. Mm-hmm. Uh, can it demand? Can it overcome the demand for uranium? you know, as alternative sources of of energy are pursued? Can it overcome the demand for lithium and some of the base metals, you know, to make batteries? Is that inelastic because of all of those reasons, that demand? And then you throw on again, this ultimate guaranteed shift of central bank policy into loosening, you know, printer go burr, um, and you, again, it's a recipe one way or the other for higher prices. And then in a world that has taken physical commodities and levered them, and you know the fancy securities industry term is rehypothecated them, uh, if they get called to the carpet and that leverage gets unwound, like we've always talked about with gold and silver, you know how many uh, just on a base case, there's. What's the number? 300 million ounces of silver allegedly in the COMEX vaults. And there's 700 million ounces of open interest. And, you know, even if you assume every single ounce is available for delivery, if all 700,000, where does it come from? Right. That sort of thing. Mm -hmm. That's just the example. That's a very basic example of the leverage in this system that you can take 300 million ounces and lever it up to a billion ounces or whatever. Uh, because they know people aren't standing for delivery. Well, if people stand for delivery, if demand, and I'm not saying on the COMEX, I'm just talking about continuing to drain these stockpiles. The charts are in that report of mine. And all of a sudden, they're in any left. I mean, what about the vaults of silver in London? Ronan Manley's been writing about that at more, and at uh, Gold, Bullion Star like crazy. Mm-hmm. How many ounces are left in London that aren't pledged to the SLV, right? 
and aren't a part of, you know, the, maybe not up for sale. And those vaults just keep dwindling and dwindling and dwindling. What happens when they're gone? So anyway, well, I'm sorry. Craig, yeah. I mean, that's that's a point that I wanted to get to is, is where do you think that this you know, we always hear about the supply deficit in silver. We we mm-hmm. saw we saw you know thousands of tons get drained from the Comex last year. Mm-hmm. When does that? When does the rubber start to meet the road? When does this shortfall in supply and and this this massive demand start to actually affect price? The first thing that comes to mind when you ask me that, Tom, is the question I've been asked for a dozen years. Um, when will the banks get out of the bullion banking and the precious metals business? You know, was last year, you know, was the billion dollars in fines and the five convictions and the head of JP Morgan's precious metals desk going to jail? Was that enough to get him to stop? No. I mean, there's still money to be made, right? So the, this, this condition, this system, the scheme is going to persist until it doesn't. It's going to persist until the very last day. And then one day, there won't be any metal. Somebody will show up, you know, there'll be a delivery failure. Whether it's in, you know, somebody with a forward contract in London that can't get metal anyplace else. And, you know, they can't get it, you know, whatever. They can't get it out of the SLV or whatever. Um, that's when the that'll be the straw that finally breaks it. And then, you know, the thing kind of reaches kind of a critical mass. And then this forced unleverage finally comes. But until that type of, that's why the physical picture is so important. Until that physical picture finally forces an unwind, then this system of of these derivative contracts that are traded, and then the price that's discovered through the trading of the derivatives is where they try to deliver physical metal. That connection begins to fray when you can't deliver the physical metal. And until that happens, this little system over here continues. I don't know if that, did that answer your question? I can't even remember, Tom, at this point, what your original question was. (laughs) Well, Craig, you know, that brings up an interesting point to me because I'd like to push back a little bit on that if I could. We haven't ever seen a delivery failure on the Comex, right? The the seller is responsible for the the terms of that contract. They can deliver in cash or settle in cash instead of physical. It's up to them. So, right. You know, we think about this, you know, what you said, this delivery failure, but does that end up fraying that that piece that you're talking about, about really the, the confidence in the ability of the system to continue to deliver even the cash or or just the, the confidence to be able to have that as a mechanism to keep trading those contracts? I'm really glad you asked me that. Because there are still, you can find this on the internet. People say, oh, the COMEX is going to crash in March, mm-hmm. in September. And I'll admit, back in 2010, I fell for that too. Okay. This delivery failure is not going to emanate from the COMEX. Not going to. Hell, this month, apparently January must be a delivery month for platinum. Because all of a sudden, there were 3,800 COMEX platinum contracts that were still open when that contract went off the board at the end of December. 3,800 doesn't sound like a lot. And 50 ounces per contract doesn't sound like a lot, but that's about 200,000 ounces of platinum. Allegedly, standing for delivery. 
Mm-hmm. You know what the total open interest is? I'm sorry, the total stock of platinum is in the COMEX vaults? 160,000 ounces. Hmm. How's that going to work, right? But yet here we are. They've processed 3,000 deliveries and platinum still trading. Mm-hmm. And nothing has changed. I mean, it's not like all that metal left the COMEX vaults. And that's how it that's how it's always worked. They just play this circle jerk of warehouse receipts and warrants and all this stuff, or maybe you settle it in cash or whatever. Okay. This current example of what's going on in platinum here in January 2023 is an example of that. that's not where the failure is going to come from. That's why I cite these global supplies in China, in London, the true physical markets. The new COMEX is just a futures platform. It's, mm-hmm. It was never intended to be a physical delivery system. Kind of became one a little bit in 2020 when the whole system really had problems in March and April. But uh, that's a whole other story. The point is the delivery failures where all of a sudden, you know, some big company, you know, Nokia shows up or I'm just picking one off the top of my head, you know, demanding they they put in an order for, you know, some mass quantity metric tons, thousands of metric tons of silver, and they're not getting it. And so now all of a sudden their supply chain is all gummed up, you know, and they got to halt production of, you know, some company got to halt production of solar panels or batteries or something because they can't get any more. That's when it starts to hit the fan. And it doesn't have to be in silver. Again, it could be in copper. It could be in platinum. It could be in palladium. Where then market participants figure out, whoa, wait a second. I don't want any part of this. Kind of um, like the, the nickel squeeze we saw. Right. Yeah. It's a great example. And then, then you get to a point where... The banks that still play these games, whether it's Bank of America or Citigroup or J.P. Morgan or whatever, and they profitably play these games on their trading desk, shorting because they know that they can outlast the specs, you know, and that sort of thing. The way they always have, they stand back and they go, finally, somebody steps in and says, we can't do this anymore because we can't keep supplying the paper contracts because ultimately we're the ones that are on the on the end uh, on you know we have to deliver metal that we don't have we're just taking the risk just like the specs are always taking the risk by being long on mm-hmm. margin we don't have the metal to back these things up we don't have access to the metal to back them up if we get called on them so we got to stop playing and that's how a physical metal shortage eventually translates itself into a change in how uh, the metals themselves are priced now again I, this is not this is a fun discussion. It's, you know, academic, you know, thought provoking, all that kind of stuff. This is not the basis of my forecast for this year yeah. and next. The key for people to understand this year and next is that all of these pieces fit together of a vastly weakening economy that the Fed and the other central bankers have no idea. They've never done this before. They've never done QE. They never cut rates to zero, they never jacked them up to five before as quickly as they have they have no idea what the impacts are it's not like they can fall back and go well in the past 20 times this has happened it's worked like this and they stroke their chins they have no idea all they can do is look backward and by the time we get into march and in april and may and june the devastation is going to be obvious and then they're going to be forced to shift course they'll declare victory because they got in inflation below fed funds and then the market wakes up again just like it did in 2010 just like it did in 2019, the speculator cash comes rushing in. The futures contracts even take off. And I'll give you one last thing, Tom, we haven't even talked about yet. How about the mining share so far this year? 
Well, Craig, let's let's just put a pin in the in the mining shares real quick. Yeah. The the one thing I just wanted to point people to is in the 70s, there was almost three three spikes of inflation. You know, mm-hmm. there was there was one initial spike and then it came back down and then it went mm-hmm. higher and then it came back down again. And then it just, you know, ultimately took off to its highs. So yes. it is it's possible that we're in that, you know, first deflationary or, you know, that that first dip in mm-hmm. the road that we that we have seen in the past. Right. There's that pendulum again, Tom. Right. Yeah, exactly. Just swinging wider and wider. And the next QE program will be larger than the last. And the inflation problem will get worse because you're starting from a higher baseline, mm-hmm. right? Say they get inflation down to 3% and then they got to start QE again. Then it goes up even higher next time. And again, it is like the 70s. And the market reaction is like the 70s. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't I don't think there's any way. People try to say, oh, Powell's you know, the new Volcker and all that kind of stuff. And it's just, no. It's, 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 it's mathematically not possible. Debt to GDP, you know, all these different things, total amount of debt versus where we were 42 years ago. I mean, it's just not going to happen. So all they can do is tighten as far as they can till they crash everything, loosen everything up again to try to keep everything going again. And then inflation gets out of hand by 2024. And then they try to play tightening again. And the only question is, does everybody play along again? And oh, yes, the Fed is so credible. Yes, we believe, you know, that'll be the only question. And that's eventually what got out of hand in 78 and 79. And that's why gold went from you know 200 down to 100, and then back up, and then wider swing to 900. Mm-hmm. And so, again, back to the the mining shares. What a, what a very interesting start to 2023. It's been almost every candle's almost been green until maybe today, the 11th. Mm-hmm. Uh, the GDX is up a, through yesterday, Tuesday the 10th was up something like 11.1 percent year to date. That's not just you and me and people, you know, buying positions back after tax loss selling, mm-hmm. right? That's a pretty big move of institutional hedge fund, whatever, cash coming into the sector. And it doesn't take a whole lot of money. It's a small sector. But to move up that much and consistently, that's a tell too, that there's some smart people out there, not just some dummy out here in Kansas. There's smart people out there that can see this coming. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, that 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 it's not like the shares, you know, not like GX is going to forty next week. It'll pull back too. But that kind of move, especially after it already had a twenty five percent run to end the year from twenty two and a half to twenty eight and a half, that type of move is pretty impressive. And that that's a tell uh, of what some pretty smart money thinks is going to happen this year. Yeah, and I think you know if that gathers momentum, if and when that gathers momentum, that is just going to end up feeding on itself because you're going to have these other funds start to look at look <laughs> at the gold sector starting to outperform everything else, and then all of a sudden, people that have no interest necessarily in gold say we're getting our ass kicked by this asset, right? And, or the and asset back class. to where we started: patience. <laughs> Don't get thrown off. Educate yourself. Don't just swallow what your stockbroker, your fuzzy-headed brother-in-law, or or what uh, the guy on, on television tells you. Okay, think for yourself. And because if you don't, when all this starts to play out again, you you'll be wrong-footed, and then you'll be playing catch-up. You know, you'll be like, well, I'll wait for the pullback, and then I'll start buying some mining shares. You know, and then you'll. I mean, the train's left the station at that point, <laughs> and and then you're playing catch-up. You know, this, what what you should be doing now is building positions, 
which is probably what's happening, why the GDX has been moving up the way it has, institutions building positions. should also be adding to your stack of physical metal, you know, on the dips. And there's going to be plenty of dips over the next couple of months, that's for sure, you know. Um, but in, in preparation, again, the historical precedent has been set. Just like 2010 and 2019 that led to 2011 and 2020, 2023 is setting us up, again, for even crazier times in 24. Mm-hmm. Well, Craig, I think that's a, a good place to kind of wrap up for today. We've really gone through a good amount of your <laughs> uh, your report there. Again, if we'll we'll put the link in the show notes for anybody that wants to read it. It's not a terribly long or or mm, no. complicated read, but it's a good good read to just kind of kind of go through to give you some perspective for for the year here. Hopefully, I, I always try to lay it out. You know, it's not designed to be like, you know, some fancy sell side analyst, you know, Wall Street thing. Mm-hmm. I try to put it, you know, in English in a way that you can connect the dots yourself and see what I'm thinking. And that's you know, that's what I try to do. It's a good way for me to kind of organize my thoughts as the year begin as well, you know, and, and keep me focused. And so hopefully it'll help keep other people focused. And again, there's a link at the bottom of the page. You can go and find out how TFMR works. And if you want to join us, save yourself a couple of bucks. Join for a month and use that code 2023 and get half off for your first month and see if you like it. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's tfmetalsreport.com and at tfmetals on Twitter, right? That's it. I There's 58,000. I mean, what a platform Twitter is. I mean, it's just incredible. I, I was talking to Jim at Wall Street Silver the other day, and he's got like 500,000 followers. And his, his, you know, you get these analytics now to show you how many people you've engaged with. I mean, the the amount of people watching CNBC or something at any time during the day is like 100,000, 150,000. Mm-hmm. Half of those are stockbrokers who just have it on in their office in the background. And the yep. other half are a bunch of, you know, Adderall addicted uh, <laughs> stock jockeys on their laptops, right? Where on Twitter, Jim can put out something and it's seen by 200,000 people. It's a fabulous platform for all its warts. Uh, if you're not on Twitter, just go on there and follow uh, the financial people. Again, as part of that education, you'll be you'll be glad you did. Absolutely, Craig. Thanks so much for your time today. Always good to see you, Tom. Hopefully, we'll uh, we'll do this again soon. Absolutely. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. Guests on this show are not compensated for their appearance. Listeners are urged to educate themselves and make their own decisions. Do not base any investment decisions on the information contained. To view our full disclaimer, please visit our website.